Rabotai, we continue the learning and the study of the Tariyag Mitzvot. We're up to the 95th Mitzvah. And that is Mitzvah Binyan Beta Bechira. The Mitzvah to build the Beta Mikdash. As the Pasuk says in Shemot Perek Chafhe Pasuk Chet, Ba'asulim Mikdash. Now, included in this obligation, and mitzvah to build the Bet HaMikdash, it includes to uh, develop and make and fashion all the kelim, all the utensils that are needed for the function of the Bet HaMikdash, which includes the menorah, the candelabra, the shulchan, which is the table, and of course, the mizbeach, etc. Now, this is a, an exceptional sefer chinuch in the 95th mitzvah, the Rav goes out of his way in explaining very thoroughly this mitzvah. And he also includes, which is a rare occurrence in the Sefer, in the poetic language, two different poems at two different points of his perusha on the mitzvah. I will just read some of the golden language that he writes when he introduces the mitzvah of the Mishkan. And he says, Ve'achen he says, as I come to and approach this mitzvah to explain about the Bet HaMikdash and the Mishkan, I have fear to come close to the Mishkan of God because I know that those that come very close or too close, if they didn't sanctify themselves enough, they will not see the house and live. And therefore, you see how he comes to this mitzvah and he approaches it with great fear and trepidation. And then, in a classic chinuch, he starts to explain at great length the shorish of why God would tell us to build a Bet HaMikdash. And he says the following, Hefetz Hashem nehetiv lanu. Of course, God's purpose is that he wants to give. God wants us to be deserving of the blessings so he could bestow it upon us. That's why he told us to fulfill the mitzvot. God doesn't need our mitzvot. But if we fulfill the mitzvot, we'll be worthy of the blessing. And then he writes, There's certain people when they do mitzvot, they have the drive to do the mitzvot exclusively for the reward and for the blessing that comes with it. So the Hinuk says, well, they have something to look forward to. They definitely will merit Gan Eden. They did not reach the essence and the purpose of service of God. There are others that are driven by love of God. They want to fulfill the will of God. They want to be attached to Kadosh Baruch Hu. They want to reach what's called Devekut. They have no ulterior motives. They're not too worried or concerned about their reward. They're more concerned of getting close. 
But that introduction, he says that that's the highest level. Vilachin, binyana bayit. God tells us to build a house, a temple. Vatifilot, come and pray. Korbanot, hakol lehechsher gufotenu. Which means it's all for us. God doesn't need a house. God has the whole world. God doesn't need a korbanot. God doesn't need a tefilot. So what is the reason why he says to build such an elaborate structure? So he says it's order to bring us to a level. Which level? He says, Ki agufot al We know that human beings are influenced by external actions. God said you should establish a place, it should be a pure place, must be clean. Why? So when you go there, So the thoughts of the people that go to this holy place will be pure. And when they see such an elaborate place and a beautiful place, which is for the God, it'll bring their hearts closer. God specifically chose the center of the world, with Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is the center of the world. His language is, the, uh, the, the middle, the midpoint, is more choice than the corners. So the purpose of the Bet is not for God, it's for us. So you build the structure in order that you get impressed by it, in order that brings you closer. And then he comes along and he says, Alken, ki ish, a person, let's say, makes a sin. Lo bo levad. It's not enough for him to come along with lip service. Shiomar beno to go stand by the wall and just say, Hatati, I made a sin. Lo osif od. That's not going to do it enough for the person. But if the Torah makes him do something very, very burdensome and very great, like what? He has to take the choice of his sheep. And he has to be Torah. And he has to bring it to the Bet HaMikdash. If you just tell the guy you make a sin, okay, go, hatati. So then already you don't understand this, how, how detrimental and how negative the influence of sin is. But if they tell you, and we're talking about a sin over here, mind you, a mistake, a shogeg. They tell you, you did a shogeg, not a joke. Go now, take an animal, go all the way to Yerushalayim, and go through the whole process. Again, God doesn't need the korban, but it's for the person, in order that he'll be impressed, how serious the transgression was. The guy will be so careful not to make a mistake the next time because he knows what he had to go through in order to rectify one sin. And of course we know the Ramban, the famous Ramban that the Hanuk quotes, that a lot of the things that we do to the Korban are in order to bring a person to this awareness. The simicha, by putting our hands on the head of the korban, that's connected to the ma'aseh, the actual action of the sin. And then he has to make vidui, he has to confess at the time he brings the korban. That's connected maybe at the time of the sin, 
he spoke and said things that were inappropriate. And then he has to burn the parts on the Mizbeah. Which parts does he burn? The Kerib and the Kelayot. The Kerib and the Kelayot in humans are the organs of Mahshaba and Ta'aba. The Kelayot are Mahshaba and the Kerib is the Ta'aba. And therefore you burn them because that's where the sin uh, came from, from his thoughts and his desire. And then he takes the legs of a Kira'ayim, the, the legs, that's connected the, the legs of the person that ran to sin, and therefore, a person needs to uh, uh, atone for that as well. The And then you take the blood and throw it on the Mizbeah. Because really, he has his blood, which is in his nefesh, which caused him to make the sin. The Ramban's classic words, That really, his blood should have been spilled. And his body should be burnt. That God takes a temura, a substitute. And the korban is the atonement. Nefesh tachat nefesh. Soul for a soul, blood against blood. And the primary parts of the korban. Corresponding the primary organs of the person. Then he says, why do we have to give a certain part of the Qurban to the Kohanim to eat? And the Qurban hatat. So he says, Why are you giving them the manot, these gifts? Because you want to support the Tamidi Hakamim. Why? That they should pray for him, that he should get kapara. He goes on to say, the Torah wants you to bring things that you crave for. Because the things that you crave for the most, so that's the most, maybe, impressive to give to God. And what are the three things people crave for the most? People in their lives crave mostly for meat, for wine, and the bread. And therefore, every korban is made up of those three elements that you're giving. The most important thing for you, back to God. Ve'od, she'be'sha'atachet ha'adam, that at the time that the person commits a sin, nichnas begeder ha'behema. He is, at that point, brainless. Because the person who makes a sin is not using his brain. And therefore, for those moments, he's acting like an animal. Let'na'ek b'lisechel. And therefore, take the animal that does not have any intellect, and you have to burn it, and its memory should be forgotten. Which means what? You're giving a message to yourself that brainless actions have no place in Judaism. Therefore, you burn the brainless animal. As if to say, this behavior must not exist and there is no place for acting without a brain. So therefore you remove the animal that does not have a brain. So again, it's an image. God doesn't need the animal. When you do something without brains, without thought, it has no standing and it has no uh, 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 durability. Therefore we burn the animal. 
But at the same time, at that point, you have to be happy that you're not an animal. That God gave you a neshama. God gave you a brain. And if you have a brain and you have a neshama, your body is benefiting from such a thing. Because the writes, that if a person uh, has a, goes after his brain and his seichel and his neshama, the body will benefit as well in Torah. Now, at this point, we should point out that you see that the purpose of building Bateh Bet HaMikdash is to make an impressive place in order to give a person a, uh, a feeling of, wow, uh, he's in the presence of God. And that's why today, again, we build Batekinesiot in the same way. And therefore what? When a person makes a sin, that's what I want him to make a big fuss out of it. So he knows already what he did, but not enough to just go to the kotel and say, Hatati. Torah, the Torah promised, with this action of going to the Beit HaMikdash bringing the Qurban, and with the one that's bringing the Qurban, that he will have uh, regret. It's not enough to bring the Qurban. They have to make vidui at the time. All this that we said is only for a shogeg. We made a mistake. Aval hazedonot. But if a person did a sin intentionally, lo yaspik lechaparam. The korban is not enough. Why, he says. Ki lechesilim lo yaspik ademyon. Because for the fools, this imagery is not enough. She's for a person who made a mistake, the imagery of the korban and the blood being his blood and the burning should be burning him and burning all the parts. That'll make a roshim. But a guy who's brazen, this imagery doesn't talk to him. As the Shlomo Melech writes in the 26th chapter of Mishleh, Shevet Legev Kesilim. The only thing that the Kesil understands is a whip on his back. And therefore, he needs something more uh, actual, more painful. Therefore, he's got to get Malkut or punished with a Bedin. Now, the Hinuch admits, after he gave us his whole interpretation, what is then the logic of bringing Korban Nedaba? Why would God need a korban nedaba? That's not really for a sin. You're just donating. What's the purpose? If we said God doesn't need your korbanot, so why would you just donate? If you made a sin, we understand the imagery. So he says, "Vezetam the korban nedaba shakorban dimyon nashpanat gufo." Any korban reminds you of the lowliness of the body, and the value of. The soul. Therefore, we get rid of the brainless animal in order to show that there's no room for acting without seichel. Now, even without a sin, the fact that you're bringing animals will remind you that the behavior of an animal is not accepted. Human beings have to be on a higher level. And the makrib even of a nedaba will accept musar. Then the rab, very timely, goes and explains the sword of Korban Azazel that's brought on Kippur. And he writes, the Korban Azazel, this is a type of, it's not a Korban, but it's a form of a Korban, but it's rare in the sense that it's not brought in the Beit HaMikdash. 
it's brought outside the Beit HaMikdash to a place of desolation. He says, this is being miramez, that there's certain people that are called hot'im gemurim. These are total sinners. Rasha, that his sins are very severe and very, very great. Kemor ha'pikorsim. Those people that are in the category of apikoros, they deny the Torah, they deny tichayat ha'metim, including in this are those that cause pain and suffering to the Jewish people. Lo yiru le'olam. These people have uh, uh, relinquished their, 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 their position for eternity. Like the Sa'il Azazel, Mushlak Legamre El Eres Gezera. He's thrown to the, to, to, to the foreign place. Lo Bayit. It is not found in the house of Hashem. Those Korbanot that are born in the house of Hashem indicate that the person who brings the Korban still is connected to Hashem. But there are certain sins that the connection is lost. And therefore the Korban cannot be brought in the house of Hashem. And therefore, these are the sinners that are committing the high crimes. And there's no zirika, there's no sprinkling of the blood. Zichro ye'ebad miniaris. And the azazel sa'ir is forgotten, it's destroyed. Uh, and that's what the Gemara says, he writes, lo many times the sa'ir did not reach half the mountain, ad evarim evarim, and was just totally mutilated, it became pile of bones, that this person that commits these high crimes, he will also be destroyed quickly like the Sa'il Azazel, he will be destroyed and then he comes along and he confesses that with all that he just said, he writes another long poem, and in that poem he writes, devarim, ki gam bepeshatim lo nimsa yadenu veraglenu bilti se'ad hamikubalim ve'alehem nechra apayim ve'yiftichu lanu bechol ele ha'inayim. He says, and all the peshatim that I just told you, we do not find our hands and legs unless we get help from the Kabbalists, because they will really give us the deep interpretation of Korbanot, is, and to them we bow, and we, uh, because they open for us our eyes. Now the Rab just explains some of the details of the mitzvah building the Beit HaMikdash, and he says, Ikar binyana bayit, you must make a section that's called the Kodesh. In front of the Kodesh, there's Kodesh Kodashim. Now, in front of the Kodesh on the other side, there's a place that's called the Ulam. So you have the Ulam, the Kodesh, and the Kodesh Kodashim. These three places are called the Hechal. Also, there's a wall that's built around the Hechal, and that is called the Azara. The whole area is called the Mikdash. In the Azara, they make borders where Israel is able to go until, and where the Kohanim are able to go. Around the Beit HaMikdash, they build different offices in order to store the different things that are needed for the Beit HaMikdash. These offices are called Leshachot. The mitzvah to build the Beit HaMikdash is no Heged, 
Bizman Shirov Yisrael Admatam, where the majority of the Jewish people are living in Eretz Yisrael. And then he says that this is an exceptional exceptional mitzvah, that it is not on the individual. Vezu Minam Mitzvot Sheenan Mutalot Alayahid. This mitzvah is a communal mitzvah. And then he comes along and makes a prayer at the end of this mitzvah. And he says, That when the Beit HaMikdash will be built speedily in our time, then B'nai Israel will be able to collectively fulfill this mitzvah. So again, Abotai, you see over here that the ultimate reason why we do these things is not for Kadosh Baruch Hu, it's us a favor in order to give us a chance that we'll be able to come close to him. And these are imageries that Hashem created for us according to the Chinuch in order that we could recognize the severity of our sins. Continuing the study of the Tariyag Mitzvot, <coughs> we're up to mitzvah number 96. You know that we had the Aaron, which is the ark that had in it the Luchot and the Sefer Torah. And around the ark there was Tabaot, there were rings. And in the rings there were poles, those are called Badim. So the Torah says there's a love against removing the poles from the rings. Shene'emar, as it says, so that's a love that you cannot remove it. Now this mitzvah, the Sifa Hachinu classifies it as a mitzvah shenoheget ledorot. That this is a mitzvah that is for the generations. And he explains, although he's well aware that there's no better mikdash, and we're not fulfilling this mitzvah today, However, he still called the mitzvah dorot, which means that any time we have an aron, the law applies. And therefore, uh, that is considered a uh, mitzvah that is for the generations. It always has an application. It's not a one-time item that was only in the times of the Mishkan. It applies throughout history that whenever the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt, the Merabi Amenu, this law still has its application. And what's the reason why we cannot take the poles out of the Aron. So the Shoresh, according to the Chinuch, is that the Aron sometimes was taken out suddenly. For example, when they were traveling in the Midbar. So therefore, they had to be ready to transport it at any time. And therefore, he writes... When they're rushing to go, wherever they're going, Maybe the, the poles were not in good. And therefore they're going to grab the Aaron, and what's going to happen? God forbid, it'll fall. And that's not the Kavod. So therefore they always kept the poles in so they, and fixed. So therefore it's ready at all times. So God forbid, they cannot come to Hasbun Shalom, uh, taking away from the kavod, belittling the kavod of the Aaron. And then he says another reason. And he says that all the kirim of the Mikdash have certain images that they represent. 
and they are alluding to what he calls to inyanim gedolim ve'elyonim, things that are very lofty and very high, in order that when a person looks at the vessel, there's a certain hashpa'a uh, uh, influence that the vessel will have on his psyche. And therefore, it seems that there's something in that surah, in that image of an aron with two poles coming out of its side. Although he doesn't explain what exactly it's supposed to do, but he says there has to be some mysticism behind that image that the Torah wants you to look at when you see the Aron, or when you contemplate the Aron. The question that most of the Rishonim ask on this Midvah is a problem based on a Pasuk in Bamidbar. Perek Dalid Pasuk Vav. This is talking about when the Jews began traveling in the Midbar, and they had to uh, take apart the Mishkan so they can travel. So the Pasuk says, First they had to cover the Mishkan with a certain uh, beged, a certain type of covering. And they took a tekelet, the blue beged, and they put it as a covering. Now, Vesamu Badav over here sounds like, and they put the Badim in. What do you mean, Vesamu Badav? The Badim are never able to be removed. So, what does it mean that when they were about to travel, Vesamu Badav? He just told me the Badim always were in the Aron. All the Rishonim are bothered with those two words, Vesamu Badav. How can it be that you're putting the Badim in the uh, Tabaot when they should have been there? permanently from the beginning. So the Ramban, he has a few ways of learning it. The Ramban says, it's not talking about simata badim, putting the badim in the rings. He says, they're there already. badav means they will place the badim on the shoulders of the Leviim. Vesamu badav al leviim, and they will carry it. Another tirutz of the Ramban is, he says, the whole isur of removing the badim is you cannot remove them totally out of the rings. But they could be in there even though they're not uh, uh, put in tightly. So they're loose, exactly. So therefore the Ramban says, before they left, and they tightened it and make sure they were in permanently. But they never took them out in, uh, in totality. But the biggest uh, answer, which is the biggest chedush, is the Hizkuni's answer to this question. Yaskuni says that it's true. You are not allowed to ever remove the badim from the tabaot. However, who is the first one to put the badim in the tabaot? Moshe Rabbeinu. He is the one that erected the Mishkan initially. And therefore, he's the one that made the kelim and he set it all up. Says the Yaskuni, that when Moshe Rabbeinu put it in, he's not a Kohen. So removing it the first time, there's no Isud. Only until the Kohanim subsequently stick it in, now it's considered the service of the Kohen that he put it in. Now it's permanent. And therefore at this point in history, the Badim were placed by Moshe. So the first time the Levim had to carry it, they had no problem. There was no problem to remove the Badim initially when Moshe Rabbeinu put them in. So when they started to carry it for the first time, the Leviim had to put them back in. Or the Kohanim, I should say, had to put them back in. Once the Kohanim put them back in, from there on in, 
the badim were never removed. So therefore, he comes along and he says, Rak az yasuru And therefore, the uh, isud at that point was not yet in play. Finally, we can explain the logic of why the badim need to be attached to the tabaot in the Aron. Because in the Torah world, there's two uh, very important uh, characters. And that is the learner and that is the supporter. And therefore, we should not think that the supporter, God forbid, is any less. On the contrary, the Gemara says that the one that supports actually is greater because he's the one that's facilitating. If the Torah wants to teach us that concept by saying the supporters of the Aron are the Badim and therefore they must remain attached to the Aron at all times. Because they are part and parcel, the Yisachan and the Zibulun are equal partners, not only in Olam Azeh, but in Olam Abba. So that is a, uh, a great uh, 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 motivation to those that support Torah, that their attachment to the Torah is permanent. Lo yasuru memenu. Baruch continuing our study of the Tariag Mitzvot. And we are up to the 97th Mitzvah, and that's a positive commandment in the Beit HaMikdash to set the table with the showbread, the lechem panim, and the lebona, which is the frankincense. It's based on a pasuk in Parashat, in parashat Terumah, venatata ala shulchan, lechem panim lefanai tamid, that you must place on the table in the Mikdash, lechem panim it's called, the showbread, lefanai in front of God, always. Now the question is, what would be the logic or the shortish of such a mitzvah? Of course, the Torah doesn't give us reasons, but the Sefer HaChinuch tries to make it a little sensible so we can have a connection to these mitzvot. And he writes, Lechem shebo yichyeh ha'adam. Because bread, obviously, is the main staple and the sustenance of man. Ba'alken sarich elav liyot bo tamid. So therefore, if there's one thing we need, is that there should be a beracha in the bread. That means there should be a beracha in the parnasah. So therefore, the chinuch gives us a rule that any time you use a certain item as a mitzvah, so it brings a beracha into that item. And therefore, he gives an example. It says, on Pesach, we have to bring the new crop, the barley or the wheat. It's called Korban Omer. Now why do we bring the wheat on Pesach? Because on Pesach we're judged for the crop of wheat for the year. So when God sees us using the wheat for a mitzvah, so he judges the wheat favorably. Similarly, on Sukkot, the judgment is for the rain. How much rain is going to be during the year? So what do we do with the water on Sukkot? We use the water for Nisuchamayim to pour on the Mizbeah. Same thing when we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. God remembers the ram's horn of Akedat Yitzchak. So therefore, similarly, when God sees us using the bread, the lechem panim, and using it for a mitzvah, so that causes him to give us a beracha. And there's no pleasure that God gets from this bread. The Hanukh reminds us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu lo mekabel shum hana'ah, lo not by the side of it, velo bereyach, Nobody should think, God forbid, that we're putting bread on God's table because he has some sort of benefit from the bread. God doesn't need our bread. 
Ella is doing it for us. God says, I'm giving you an opportunity to do something good with the bread in order that the beracha will come for the bread, for the, uh, for, for the people. Therefore, it's God's kindness that he gives us opportunities to receive the blessing. Now, there's certain laws that this mitzvah has. I'd like to review some of the laws. Number one, the lechem apanim was 12 showbreads, and it was divided into uh, different holders. The holders were called ma'arachot. Each ma'arachot held six bread. So therefore, they would put two ma'arachot on the table. Next to the ma'arachot, they would have two spoons. The spoons were called bazichin. And in the bazichin, there was a spice called levona. Levona is levona zaka, pure frankincense. Now, you need to have two ma'arachot and two bazichin. If you do not have the two ma'arachot and two bazichin, you do not fulfill the mitzvah. They are me'akev each other. Now, what would they do? Uh, how would they divide the lechem panim? So the way they did it was they would bake it on Friday and they wouldn't set the table until Shabbat. And they would bring the frankincense, that was the two spoons, they would put it on the mizbeach on Shabbat and at that point they would take the old bread off the table and they would divide it amongst the kohanim that were already serving in the Beit HaMikdash and the new kohanim that were coming to serve the coming week. That means they would shift with change on Shabbat. The group of kohanim that used to work in the Beit HaMikdash were called mishmarot. So there was a mishmar ha-nichnas b'Shabbat, a new mishmar that would come in, and there was a mishmar ha-yotzeh. So they would divide the breads amongst the incoming and the outgoing mishmarot, and the kohen gadol will also get a, a portion. Now, the way they would set the new table was, is that they would have four kohanim enter. And four kohanim, would be, each one would be holding an item. One would be holding one ma'arechet, the other another ma'arechet, and the other two, the two bazichin. And then there would be another four kohanim taking the old bread off the table. So you have four, one taking the ma'arechet, one taking the other ma'arechet, and two the bazichin. And as they would take it off the table, the new ones would put it immediately on. So there wasn't a second that the table did not have the bread on it. Again, because the pasuk says, lefanai uh, tamid, and therefore it has to be constant. Now this mitzvah obviously only applies at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, and it only applies to males, because only males are suitable to be kohanim. And there's one analysis that we'll make over here today, that Rambam writes, and it's based on a Gemara Hagiga, that on the holidays, the regalim, they used to take the table and lift it up from the Kodesh and bring it out into the Azara, into the courtyard. They wanted all the Jewish people to witness and look at the showbread. Why did they want to see the showbread? Because a miracle would happen with this bread on a weekly basis. Number one, it would never go stale, even though there was no preservatives in it. You leave bread for a week on the table, it goes moldy. This bread did not go moldy or stale. Not only that, it remained piping hot. And it was not on a, a heating element. So therefore, they wanted to show the pilgrims that came up on the regalim. Now the pilgrims could not see it because it's inside. So they would lift the table out and they would go to the azara and they would show the people, look how much Hashem loves you. Look at this miracle that He's doing for you that the showbread is remaining fresh and hot. Only question is, 
is that we just read in the Pasuk that it says, Lechem Panim Lefanai Tamid. That the Lechem Panim has to be in front of God constantly. So how can they lift it up and bring it outside to the Azara? And one simple answer is, is the Azara is also considered Lefna Hashem. Which means Lefna Hashem does not only mean in the Kodesh, it can mean anywhere in the Azara. And the proof to that is, is we know that the Pasuk says when you slaughter an animal. What does it say by slaughtering the animal? You have to slaughter the animal in front of God. And where do they slaughter animals? In the Azara. So therefore you see that the Azara is called Lifne Hashem. So therefore there's no problem to lift the table up and bring it into the Azara. Again, this is a positive commandment. Unfortunately, we do not have the Bet HaMikdash. And therefore we don't have this blessing that they used to have in the Lechem. However, we, uh, by saying and learning the mitzvah, we get credit as if we're fulfilling the mitzvah in the Beit HaMikdash. So that should be a good omen that Prezat Hashem Bore Olam, like we said in the Silichot yesterday, Barechet Lachmenu Ve'et Memenu, that God should bless our bread and our water. Prezat Hashem, this learning should be a merit to us, as if we fulfilled it, in the verbal at least, Verbally, and therefore, God willing, the blessing will be upon us. Amen. 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 Amen.